You are listening to the Gay Florida Man podcast. This podcast is hosted by retired corrections officer Mark DeWolf, who will discuss various topics prevalent to corrections, gay culture, arts and entertainment, as well as current events. Listeners need to be advised that this podcast will discuss situations involving extreme violence, substance abuse, sexual assault, and murder. Details of actual events have been modified so as to protect the privacy of involved parties. All right, welcome back to the Gay Florida, man. This is episode 20, and this is going to be the second part of And You Thought the Inmates Were Crazy. Coming back on the episode is Sonny. How are you, Sonny? I'm good. I'm good. 20 episodes, really? Hey, we're there. We are you guys, there. You gay guys talk a lot. And it's <laughs> it's really not normal. I'm kind of odd because most gay guys typically have something in their mouth, so they can't I, talk that much. I wasn't going to go there, but yeah. <laughs> well, every Friday and Saturday night, most guys do go right there. But uh, I'm I'm old in the gay community, so that's why I can talk a lot more. Yeah, and you got to do things early on the weeknight so you can get to bed. You know, this is, this is true. Supper at five, bed at seven. I, I know. I'm old. When I cruise the nursing homes to see who's like <laughs> has their wife out, and I can you know, I can get back home early enough to let the dogs out and and retire early. <laughs> we had talked last time a bunch of different colorful characters that we worked with, and. I don't think we spent enough time on it because there's always endless material. You always think that the inmates are crazy or bring different stories to the table, but it's nothing compared to staff. The inmates are already fucking crazy because they're in prison. They've done something stupid to get them in there where somebody has to take care of them. But the people that take care of them are the really fucked up people. (laughs) <laughs> and these are the people that pass the background checks and the psychological testing and they well, there, get in there. There was three kinds of cops. There was the cops that couldn't be a real policeman because they were too fucking stupid or something. And they wanted the badge and they wanted to come in and be badge heavies. Mm-hmm. There was the ones that Keller that just wanted somewhere to earn money while they pursued other interests outside of prison. And then there was the ones that were the, oh, I can help this poor guy, or I can help this poor girl. She just did a wrong thing. We can make her better. Those were the real fucked up ones. Well, I remember, it's funny that you say that, because there was one guy, that well, he worked until he died, but I forgot his name. But I And I know you know this guy, because he worked there, like, seriously, since the Stone Age. <laughs> and he was in his 80s, and he was still working there, and I think that his... His like kids and grandkids, everybody lived at his house. And he was the sweetest guy. He's just one of those guys where he he never established boundaries with his kids. I know that he worked over in Temp. Uh, he got removed from Temp because he was giving candy to the to the inmates, the female. <laughs> you start to go down that rabbit hole and it's like yep. uh don't don't do that now. One of our female officers over at uh Ochre Five was that way whatever holiday was halloween she would dress up in costume and come in and hand out candy wasn't so much that she was handing out candy got into prison in a fucking costume she (laughs) came through a secure control point dressed up like a witch or whatever and somebody let her in 
Ugh. And then she's going in there and she's giving candy out. After yeah, after being there specifically, don't don't do that. Please, Please don't, don't do that. that. Yeah. Well, the first story that I'm going to talk about today happened to me personally, and of course, you know, it's like when you work with a whole bunch of people, uh, you become friends with certain ones, and you hang out outside of work. It's that camaraderie, and you get similar personalities such as yourself. You go out, and so. I was with this one particular sergeant and he had just gone through a really nasty divorce. He lost a bunch of weight. He was drinking Red Bulls and eating protein bars, dropped a bunch of weight, getting back into shape, getting his teeth bleached, getting into the tanning bed. He looked great. He looked like a million bucks. And he was dating this, uh, this officer who had also gone and gone through a really wicked divorce. And she lost a ton of weight. She looked great. Both of these individuals going through their midlife crisis so we had gone to the bar in salt lake city and we went out drinking went to the gay bar and stuff getting totally shit-faced then we went back to my house they stayed in the guest room and then i go to sleep an hour later somebody is pushing and pulling on me and i'm sleeping <laughs> which, which part are you <laughs> just at this point just my shoulder oh but, but but i'm like i'm like you know i wake up i'm like what are you doing like, what the fuck? And she's like, come on, come on. I really want to suck it. And I'm like, no, fuck, no, go back to bed. Like, you're here with somebody, fucking go back to him. And she just keeps persisting and persisting, and I'm still really drunk. Finally, she gets me onto my back. I finally relent, like, oh, this is never going to end. So she starts doing... She starts doing her thing. She gets my underwear off. She starts. You're, you're such a hero to resist a blowjob. Oh God! <laughs> There's no turn on. It's a girl, man. It's just oh, not. You yeah. know. All right. I mean, it's like, look, if if you really, I mean, if you want to watch, bring your brother in, okay? But I'm not interested <laughs> in you. So she's doing her thing, trying really hard, and I just kind of act like I fell asleep. Well, <laughs> while this is going on. The other guy, the sergeant, he comes in and he starts fucking her from behind while she's leaning over because she's standing next to the bed, leaning over, blowing me, trying to blow me. <laughs> and he starts nailing her from behind. And I'm just like, I'm acting like I'm asleep during this whole thing. I hear her. And she's like, he's not getting hard. Like he's, he's not, he's soft. And, and he says, well, duh, he's gay. <laughs> and she's like, "Well, do you, do you want to give it a try?" And she and and you know, Sonny, it was really hard for me not to wake up. Like both of you, get the fuck out of here, okay? But I just I just stayed there, and he's like, "No, no, 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 no." He instantly was like, "No, I'm not doing that." So they're doing this thing. They're you know they're moaning and and grunting and all this stuff, and I'm like, "Oh my god, I don't know." Like, how I'm going to ever tell this story. Yeah. Then he says, are we going to take pictures like last time to her? And I'm like, fucking pictures? Are you kidding? And, and then she says, you know, whatever you do, don't come in me. And right as she says that, he's like, oh, uh, uh, yeah. And I'm just thinking, oh, thank God that's not on my carpet. But anyways, so they finish up and they go back into the other the other room. And then I jump up and I go and I lock my bedroom door. I don't know why I didn't fucking lock the bedroom door to begin with. Anyway, so I can finally go to sleep. And then I look at my dogs and they're like, we thought we'd seen it all. But so, you know, the next day I wake up and they're already gone. 
a few days later, she had like called me and she's like, look, I'm really embarrassed. That was really bad. I'm sorry. And I'm like, no, no, it's no big deal. Her and I had like talked and hung out a few times as friends. One of the things that we had talked about is we had talked about like, you know, gay porn and stuff. And I had loaned her this DVD of this triple X all male cast porn. She had watched it and she fucking hated it. And she's like, what a waste. Like you have all these beautiful guys and they're just fucking each other. That's pathetic. She didn't like it at all. But here's the shocking thing. Two weeks later, I'm working inside uh, the corridor in that that office at the end, the one where uh, our friend that was upset about missing part of the game because of the uh, the OJ tape. <laughs> that same office down at the end. Yeah. And I was working in there doing a swing shift on overtime, and she comes in to say hello, and I'm like, hey, how are you? You know, and the whole thing, the awkwardness of what had happened with the, the blowjob that was not a blowjob. That thing had blown over, and <laughs> no pun intended. But then she she pulls out the DVD out of her pocket to give it to me. We're inside the fucking prison, Sonny. And she pulls out this DVD to give me, and I'm like, what in the fuck is wrong with this girl? Don't give it to me in here. We're in a prison. How If I got searched, how would I explain that I'm carrying around a porn video? Uh, that here's a here's a little aside for you on that uh, that office you're talking about. Uh-huh. It plays a prominent part in the movie The Glass House with Alan Alda. Oh, really? Yeah, they filmed uh, most of the movie inside the prison there. I was just talking to somebody the other day because Halloween Four they had done certain shots inside that corridor. When you yeah, go out from from the Charlie Block, third deck of Charlie Block, down the elevator, and then up yeah. the admin corridor. Yep that office in the hallway that's like midway down that you can open up gates to go through like back towards uci right that's the one i'm talking about okay because yeah, yeah that's those, the old that was the old sally port those controls you can pause the movie halloween four you can see those controls those buttons yeah yeah, yeah. well same with the glass house it's, it's all takes place in there they did I a never, bunch of movies out there I never saw I never saw the glass house. But okay, so they did the stand. Right. The glass house, like you had mentioned, then Halloween four. Right. Um, any others that you remember that I don't know about? Oh, uh, they did though he did nine and a half hours. What was his name? They had the famous scene where he's running the ice cube down this chick's back. He ended up doing a bunch of steroids and got all weird at um Mickey Nick, Rourke. Mickey Rourke. He filmed I, one there. I ran and, into him during Sundance, Sonny. Did I you? ran into him up at uh, Park City during the Sundance Film Festival. Sorry. Anyways. Was he already roided up? Because when I he can't... came out to do this movie, he was a little guy. And <laughs> we used to feed the inmates into the culinary there, you know, bring them in a block at a time. And we had Dog Block in there, which at the time was kind of the heavyweight inmates. Mickey Rourke thought he was some kind of tough guy and he said i want to go i want to go talk to these guys said, you know you go talk to them but remember boundaries so he went up to this one inmate named gar madison who was a big old biker dude with like missing fingers and scars all over the place he walks up puts his hand on gar's shoulder and says, hi my name's mickey rourke gar madison looked at him and said get the fuck away from my table or i'm gonna eat you <laughs> he went all the way out of the prison and wouldn't come back in after that he was walking into a, uh, a restaurant or bar 
I was walking down the sidewalk. It was literally just a brief encounter, but I recognized him. I knew exactly who he was. Yeah. When they would do the old mug shots of the inmates, they had that office there. Right. Uh, the photo when, lab. Yeah. And do you remember all the different celebrities they had that mm -hmm. they had done? They had Alan Alda, like you said. Right. Did they have I'm Mickey Rourke in there? They had Mickey Rourke. They had Michael Myers. Uh, they had the mask. Yeah. Right. I that. Yeah, there was a bunch of them. I got into one movie, that was some Hallmark movie filmed about a mother that ended up in prison. And I see that actress every once in a while, but I couldn't tell you her name if you held a dick to my head. <laughs> in fact, I've got a CD with all those mug shots I need to put on social media to yeah. share to people with because we're talking about it in this particular episode, episode 20. I, I think I've got the one of Alan Alda. The stand, Stephen King was there. Stephen I've, I've King got his, his son. I've yeah. got his mugshot. Of course, all the actors that were in, Jamie Sheridan, all the ones that were in there in that movie. That was fun. If you ever got pulled in to work one of those movies, you made some pretty good bucks. You know, I don't know if you know this, but I got cast in a movie because I did the whole acting thing part-time. And I got cast in a movie that was shot at the prison and they never called me with my call time. And so I finally got in touch with my agent who called the production saying, look, he got the part, but you never called him with his call time. They cut the scene, but because the contract was already signed, I still got paid. I wouldn't get residuals, but I got like $825. Right. And I never did the part. They cut there it. was a, a dude out there. He made captain by the time I retired. Skinny guy, real nice they had cast him as a gate guard in one of these movies and he was supposed to get like 1500 bucks every time, you know, every mm -hmm. time they stood there and they took a picture of him. Well, they postponed it for a week. So every day for a week, this cat got a $1,500 check for just showing up. Wow. The film industry can be very profitable. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's see. God, where did um, we get sidetracked there? I you know were, we, you were getting blown. Oh, shit. okay. Yeah, that's right. Now, which blow job was that? Let me look at my list. No. Was it a staff or an inmate? Okay, the list got smaller. It was just staff. Careful. Um, <laughs> careful now. Careful. For the record, I've never gotten a blow job from an inmate. Several tried to fuck me over. I know that for sure. Oh, yeah. Okay, so there was a staff member. And this is going way back to when I worked with. Uh, Tony Kishelish in Olympus. I and, miss Tony. Oh, so do I. And, you know, Tony would be eating these stories up. He would have details that you and I have forgotten. Because <laughs> the guy is, he had so much knowledge. It was amazing. He was so brilliant. And that's one of the reasons his humor was so sharp. Yes. 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 He was just, God damn, he was on point. Anyways, I had worked with Tony and myself and Melissa. There was a utility staff that would come and fill in, and he's one of those guys that would work all day long, and then he would come in and do his shift and be exhausted and pretty much worthless. And he was just <laughs> waiting for the inmates to get locked down so he could find some office to go not off in. Take a nap, yeah. Yeah, and so, but this particular night was bad because at Olympus, there used to be this trailer outback that had like 30 inmates. And it was called E-Dorm. Uh, we just called it the trailer. Yeah. I okay. think it was E-Dorm, but yeah. 
Okay, so it went by either name. But you go out there, and it's just a, the office was a little office that they'd added in that you could actually lock the door with a computer and stuff where the staff would hang out. But the rest of it was all just this open room, but then it had a TV room that was in the back, but there was no door to it. Like, you just walk from where the bunks are into either the bathroom or in this big TV room. So one night the control called that did the count control one and they did not have the count for edorm and so we tried to call him on the radio we tried to call him on the office phone out there he's not answering he's not answering count's going to go into a code red if we don't get count in i go out there in case there might be a real problem and i go out there and i walk in this guy is asleep on the couch there's 30 <laughs> inmates out there this guy is asleep on the couch. He's got a, a laptop computer. He's got the keys off of his belt. They're sitting next to the laptop computer. And he's got his radio off. The radio's on this coffee table out there. And I go out there. I walk right up on him. I turn his radio all the way up. I go outside. I get on my radio and I call him again. And then this time he answers. The people inside the building were watching on their the closed circuit television. And they said, when I, when I called him on the radio, the guy went right through the fucking roof. I had turned him <laughs> up. So then what happens is I kind of play the part. Like I walked in, like I was walking in there for the first time and he's got to play like he wasn't just asleep. Right. And I'm like, Hey man, how's it going? Oh, going good. Going good. It's like, have you, have you put in count? Oh, I was just about to do that. I'm like, okay, okay, cool, cool. I go back in and I have this discussion with the other people. Like, what are we going to do? Like that's on camera. This dude's asleep. Who knows how many inmates saw him asleep out there. He's got a laptop computer. He's got his radio off. He's got excuse. This is bad. The worst thing you could do is fuck up in a situation like that. And if management knows that, you know, that this guy was doing something, mm -hmm. you're part of the problem. You're as guilty as they are. Yeah. You know, I, I talked to the Lieutenant and <sighs> the lieutenant didn't handle it well. I mean, he went right to paperwork. And, right. Uh, and so it, it sucked. But later on, that guy ended up getting caught. He had a storage unit, and the storage unit next to his was empty. So he went ahead and put his stuff in that other storage unit, put a padlock on it, <laughs> and he got popped for theft of services and got fired anyways. But nobody else was using it. No, it was... <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't doing anything wrong. I mean, it was just an empty store. Right. What's the big deal? Right. God. I would have moved my shit. All you had to do is ask. What's the big deal? These guys are fucking nitpickers. We used to, if we ever caught somebody sleeping like that, we'd take their keys and <laughs> just walk off with them. And you would see, you know, four hours of just gut-wrenching panic while they're trying to find their fucking keys without telling people that they're trying to find their keys. That, I mean, that was more severe punishment than going to the administration about it, I thought. Psychological sodomy is what we call it. I don't think that that guy would have learned. I don't think no. he would have learned. He just didn't, I don't know. He's just a different cat. Worked with a guy on Dog Block. We'll call him General Lee. And he used to find amusement in taking old Bic lighters. Now, those inmates used to be able to smoke out there. Right. And he, But all they had was matches. We'd give them, hand them out book matches. So he would take empty Bic lighters and those sticky fly traps, hangers, you know, hang from the ceiling. Yep. He'd roll that lighter in that sticky shit and then just toss it out in the corridor and wait. 
and we'd stand there at the dog block grading and first inmate come by, they'd look around, squat down, grab the lighter, and then you'd see this look on their face like, what the fuck did I just do? And they'd op <laughs> open their hand to drop the lighter and the first thing they did was sniff it, you know, <laughs> make sure it hadn't fallen out of somebody's ass. Oh, <laughs> nasty. But, you know, can't fun with inmates. Yeah. Sonny, the movie that I was cast in, it had Barbara Hershey in it, and that was a TV movie, 2004, called Paradise. And that was filmed in the Salt Lake City area, and that was the that was the production that paid me, and I was never even in their movie. <laughs> I can't beat that. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Just looking to see if that was the one they had me stand in. I was. Uh, they were filming a scene in the culinary. And I was walked in to get a cup of coffee, and the director yelled at me, you, stop, right there. I thought, oh, fuck, I screwed up. He said, look, I need a guard in this shot. Would you go stand right there? All you got to do is stand there. We're just going to move the camera patch it. Okay. I was in it for like a fifth of a second. Very I cool. didn't get, I didn't get any money. I didn't get paid. But my mother is a Hallmark movie fanatic. <laughs> and every time that fucking movie comes on, I get a phone call. I saw you on TV today. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You know, when you're working with inmates, and especially uh, your inmates that are higher level of security and can't be trusted and have to be restrained when they come out of their cell, you've got to always be alert and aware of your surroundings. Uh, this next person that I'm going to talk about, amazing guy. I love the dude. He taught me a lot. This is one night where this story has to be told. I'm working over in that dorm in Olympus. And this particular staff member who was a sergeant, he calls me up. And he goes, hey, uh, if you hear your name <laughs> called on the radio, don't. Don't answer. <laughs> Don't mess up my line here, Sonny. Sorry. I got to get this out. I got to get this. Let me start over. Okay. Uh, so I'm out there and I'm in the dorm. I'm in the office and the phone rings and I pick it up. Hey, uh, if you hear your name on the radio, uh, don't respond. Uh, uh, Priscilla's got my radio. I'm like, what? <laughs> what do you mean she has your radio? Ah, yeah. You know, the cuff war was open and, you know, she had a pretty good reach and, uh, yeah, she grabbed it. She pulled it in the cell. <laughs> and so what that was is he, I guess, was talking to her. The cuff port was dropped, and she saw that radio. And she's like, oh, look at that. And she reached out. She grabs the fucking radio, and she yanks it right off his fucking belt, right through that cuff port <laughs> into the cell. And I'm sure that scared the shit out of him just because you're getting grabbed by an inmate through a cuff port. Right. But then now she's got a radio where you could talk to the whole entire prison. <laughs> you know, you just got to change the channels. So what that was is after he called me a few minutes later, I hear on the radio, DeWolf, please help me. Because I had a rapport with her. Right. I, yeah, I did too. Yeah, I got along with her, you know, no problem at all. I liked her. Officer Chucky, he, uh, or Sergeant Chucky, he uh, he ended up having to go through some like extra training about you know security and <laughs> inmate awareness and equipment levels. retention. Yeah. <laughs> equipment retention. Yeah, I heard that she had gone from like channel to channel to channel singing Christmas carols and <laughs> I mean you know Wasatch, Uinas, Oakers. Everybody heard it, and then so SWAT got there. She would not give the radio up. She was like, "Fuck you." And so SWAT finally assembled. They had to all drive in from home 
and they all assemble and they go in to, you know, to get her under control. And then she took that radio and she threw it right in the fucking toilet. <laughs> Probably a $1,200 radio. Probably. You know, the inmate I'm talking about. Did you have problems with her? No, actually, uh, when I got ready to retire, she sent me a letter that th thanked me for understanding her situation. And that she wished that she had somebody in her life like me that would have influenced her in a different way. Yeah. Yeah. She, she, came was, a, from a she was a sad, sad, I mean, sexually molested from 18 months on till that officer took her out there and raped her in the control room that time. Yeah. I got along with her really well. She, she definitely tried to get shock value out of you. Oh, like sure. she told me that she worshiped the devil and all this stuff, but it was just, it was to get a reaction. Mm -hmm. You know, once you kind of got through that hardened barrier and you got to know her, she wasn't bad. I mean, she, you know, I, I wish she'd stayed out and stuff. She came back, I think a few times. I yeah, don't remember. She was a product of her environment as, yeah, as were sad. most of those people out there, you know? Yeah. Sad stuff. Every once in a while, you get a personality that you don't get along with. <laughs> and <laughs> for some reason, I'm a magnet for that whole thing. I don't know what it is. You could probably attest to this, Sonny. I was happy-go-lucky. I usually had a smile. And misery loves company. There's no <laughs> doubt about it. And so when you see some guy that comes along who's happy-go-lucky, who's just gay about life, we'll say that. <laughs> My personality type really grates on those angry fucking cunts. Yep. And this next individual, I'm going to talk about him because he's dead. And which is like normally what we don't do. Like, oh, we don't talk about he's passed on and, you know, well, he's, thoughts he's and prayers. Still an asshole. Yeah, no, he is. He is. Here's what happened is I had to come in. I had lived an hour from the prison at the point of this situation. And I know because I still have the memo. And it's dog response 31405. You know, even as I read this memo, it pisses me off. I want to go dig this son of a bitch up and beat up his corpse. There's just, it's filled with definitely differences in the way that I viewed it and the way that he viewed it. He's covering his ass. I had gone out there for this meeting and I was, as I walked out of Timpanogos, I was with this officer that I supervised. He, we were both required to be in the meeting with the captain. As we walked out, I could see my flashers, my emergency hazards were flashing. And I'm like, oh, well, the dog must have bumped it. So we start walking towards our cars. And when we walk out there, this guy pulls up one of the Charlie units. So I walk over to see, you know, what he needs because he like pulls up. And then I don't know if he looked at me or gestured, but I walk over. He says, your blinkers are on. Of course, I wanted to say, thanks, Captain Obvious. Uh, but I said, uh, yeah, my dog was in the car. She must have bumped the hazard button. And he goes, dogs are not allowed on prison property. And at that point, I know where it's going. So I said, well, and that's why I'm leaving. I'm not going to engage this guy. And so realizing I'm going to get out of there and he doesn't get the last word, he's got to quickly say, then leave and just to try to irritate me, whatever. I get in my car and I pull off property. I'm like, I don't need to be talked to like that. I mean, I came out here for an hour-long meeting, drove two hours drive time. I'm out three hours of my life, and I only get paid for two because that's the policy. You know, I choose where I choose to live, which is up north an hour away where I can afford to live. I call my lieutenant. I'm like, hey, what's with that fucking guy Weeks? He's like, well, what do you mean? 
And I told him what had happened. And so my lieutenant approached Weeks and said, hey, did you have some interaction with, with some guy about a dog? And Weeks is like, dogs are not allowed on prison property. And he's like, well, you know that was Sergeant DeWolf. And as soon as he heard that it was a staff, he wouldn't say another word. He turns and he walks away. So he saw the writing was on the wall. And so he knew to write a memo. So he writes this memo. And it's full of... Uh, just cover your ass. He's basically stating that he was already out there at my car and I came up and I had the attitude. And that's not what happened. I walked to my car, he pulled up. Um, but he changes the narrative to make himself look more favorable. And I realized the guy's just an asshole. He's going to lie. In his memo to my lieutenant, Taylor, I broke down every one of the things that he said happened. And then I discredit him. And then I None of the policies that he refers to in this memo apply to the situation because we're not past the VDS. We're in Timpanogos where you can just drive in right off the street and you're in the parking lot. I'm not a visitor. None of it applies. I don't know why he's referring to these memos, but um, he does refer to the fact that I have an attitude and he recalls like that I've been talked to before about my dog being on property, which is not the case. The only other time my dog was on property was with Lieutenant Pardoon. Pardoon didn't say anything because I was driving to Florida for a visit. It's just interesting that you get these guys, and this is an older dude who doesn't have to answer to anybody. He's been in that position. He knows the position. When you have somebody like this who's a difficult personality, I know that other supervisors kind of like roll their eyes because they know the guy's an asshole but he's not going anywhere. So they got to deal with it and they got to put out his fires on this particular time in March, 2005, they had to put out weeks fire with me so that I don't push the issue further up the chain. So they sat down and you know, there's differences and blah, blah, blah. And the thing that really irritates me though, is when, when people lie, um, just trying to cover their ass, but you know what, for whatever it's done, he's dead. World's a better place. <laughs> It's just a dick, just a total dick. But unfortunately, you have those personalities inside well, it. That's how those people ended up on outside enforcement, because they had the kind of personality where if you put them in a group of more than two people, there would be a fight. Exactly. Because they were just dicks. He retired, then he came back and he double dipped. Mm -hmm. So he worked for APMP as like a corrections officer at a halfway house. And he didn't feel good, so he went home and had a massive heart attack and was dead. Oh, well, he didn't things come to those who wait. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He's just a nasty guy. Nasty guy. There was a lot of those that kind of personality on outside enforcement. There was one guy that wanted to be a street cop, so he wanted to be a state police officer. I know and who you're talking about. And they kept turning him down because he was so fucking aggressive. We knew he was working the Charlie One or Charlie Two unit. We would always get on their channel and say, hey, Charlie One, there's a vehicle on the frontage road parked on the side there. And fuck, lights and sirens, man. He would haul ass over there, out of the car. It'd be some grandma on a cell phone, you know. <laughs> What's the matter, officer? Get out of the car. Did that person go by the nickname Junior? No, but he was the same way. <laughs> okay, that's who I thought you were talking about. No, he was the same way. Who I just mentioned, I've got a story about him. Now, I did not witness this. You might know this story, Sonny, so you'll have to correct me. In terms of practical jokes, 
I'd heard, and again, I wish I knew somebody that was there, but this person that we were just talking about is he was walking out with a shift commander, walking out of the front of Temp. And I want to say Oviat, like him and Oviat were walking out, <laughs> and somebody was above them on that entrance with a dummy in an orange jumpsuit. <laughs> Do you know this story? I heard it. I don't know it personally. And, no. and so I guess that this person that we're talking about had told him, like, once you see us clear that entrance, throw this dummy down. And <laughs> so as soon as they're out there, he threw the dummy, and the guy that I'm talking about, this sergeant, he goes, freeze! And he pulls out his handgun, and he's got blanks, and he starts shooting the fucking dummy like it's an escape in progress. Now, I don't know if it was Oviet. That's what I had heard. It was him. But I, I, I don't know for sure. But I, I can't imagine Oviet thinking that was really funny. I can't either. No, he, he had a stick so far up his ass, you could see a bump on his head. He was, I just, I think that I would have loved to have seen that whole thing play out. This particular sergeant that we're referring to, I will say that that's an amazing practical joke to go <laughs> to such lengths and how you could do that joke and not get any paperwork even back then is shocking because the blanks and pulling it out <laughs> that's got to get some people's heart rate up i love it if it didn't get it. you shot yeah right <laughs> that's amazing we had uh, this real old timer when i first started out there he'd already been out there for like 30 years i walked in i was working baker block i think he said you had a good day today oh i just got here you know we'll wait and see what happens he said well things are fixing to get exciting for you fuck what, what does he mean Went in there, did shift change, got all my shit. About 30 minutes later, the sirens start going off, uh, radio traffic, everything. It's like, oh, fuck happened? Finally, we find out that somebody had found an orange jumpsuit draped over the fence on the frontage road. And it was the guy that had told me, you're going to get some excitement. He had taken it out there and hung it over the fence just to see what kind of reaction he would get. Oh. So it was like four hours of counting bodies, making sure nobody's escaped, you know. In the long run, it was hilarious. In the short run, it was, fuck, you made me do all this goddamn work for nothing. That, I don't know why they would flip out. They would, something that would trigger them like there'd been an escape, like, you know, uh, an inmate shoe or a, a piece of fabric. Do you remember that, when it went ape shit about the canal that ran through there? How an inmate, if they got over the fence, could fashion a raft out of soda bottles and float down this irrigation canal to wherever the fuck they'd end up. And nobody took him serious, so he made up a dummy. <laughs> <laughs> Did it, took pictures and everything else and brought it in. All right, we get your point. What the fuck do you want us to do? It's an irrigation canal. I don't know. There's some strange uh, sir, people over there. Sir, there <laughs> there's some very strange people and they're not the ones wearing jumpsuits either. no no they're not the ones you need to worry about <laughs> there was a lieutenant and i'm going to call him lieutenant sunshine that i worked with at a particular building they had an issue that they were dealing with with a staff member who was not the sharpest knife in the drawer <laughs> and they were having this meeting at shift change and all the staff from both day and night shift were up front with the exception of a skeleton crew 
covering control rooms and assigned posts inside the, the building. Right. And so there was an Arab guy in Baker section. This guy decided that he wanted to take on staff. So you had two staff inside Baker section fighting this fucking guy. And they're on the radio and they're screaming for fucking help. They need backup. I need an A-team. I need IMS. I need fucking SWAT. I need eyes in the sky. Fuck, this guy's <laughs> kicking our ass. This whole thing's going on. And they're talking about this staff member they don't like up front. And nobody's got a radio. The <laughs> lieutenant doesn't have a radio. Sergeant doesn't have a radio. It's shift change. They haven't gotten ready. They, whatever. And so the, <laughs> these fuckers are on their own taking on this Arab dude. Finally, somehow, some way, something happens. I don't know if they took the guy down and they got under control or staff finally, you know, responded or answered a telephone and said, hey, you might want to get back in the Baker section right now. There's a problem. What happened was is the next day there was a the officer that was fighting was an older guy. I'm going to say I think it's Willie and that might be his first name, but he was one of the ones that was fighting the inmate. And the next day. I think I was leaving and Willie and the lieutenant were out front. And as I passed him, I said, hey, Willie, if you ever get in that situation again, call me. I'll have my radio on. <laughs> and so what happened was, is the lieutenant called me into his office and he was fucking livid that <laughs> I called him out on the fact that he fucked up. Right. He really couldn't do anything, Sonny, because it's like, if he writes me up, what, what is he going to put in the report? Like, this person addressed the fact that I didn't have my radio on and staff were fighting <laughs> for their life and I don't like it. I mean, what are you going to do? And so he knew that, like, you know, basically he couldn't really go anywhere with it. But he was mad at me. It, the whole thing blew over after a while, but for a minute there he was pissed. The same lieutenant had gone out to adult probation and parole years later. And I think that he was up on the range and... Something happened. He holstered his weapon, and the fucking thing fired, and the bullet went right through his leg. <laughs> yeah, that's a drag. That's a, that's a bad day. We're out the range one day at oh Camp Williams. Camp Williams, yeah, yeah. yeah. And we were doing shotgun training. The, you know, they gave you five rounds, and you were supposed to put them in your pocket and wait your turn to get the gun and go shoot. And this guy had stuck his five rounds in his back pocket and was standing there talking to somebody. <laughs> and the guy on the range ejected a shell from his shotgun and it spun through the air and hit this guy in the pocket. And one of the shells in his pocket exploded. Whoa. Luckily, it was a good old pair of Levi's and it didn't do anything but burn him a little bit. I don't know. Aside there. <laughs> wow. To mind. What are the odds? There was a captain that I know you know, and because a lot of people knew, but he was cleaning a weapon up at the academy, and he put a round right through the, that red cleaning bin that they had for weapons. Do you remember oh, that? Yeah. Yeah, he put a bullet right through that. Did you ever work in any of the towers? Oh, overtime all the time. Best ever, overtime shift ever. Yeah. Did you ever count the bullet holes in the towers? I'd see, yeah, I'd see him in the roof. Yeah, gotcha. They're in the roof and the walls and the floor. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I think I'm trying. Oh, the guy that we were talking about that played Santa Claus all the time with the cowboy hat. <laughs> yeah. Shot through an office chair and through a wall uh, to the point where they had to put up armor plating on the outside of the tower in case it happened again. They didn't kill somebody in the parking lot. It wasn't oh. to protect them from people shooting into the tower. It was to protect the people on the ground from some idiot up there fucking with the guns. 
That is crazy. Yeah, I remember one time calling the watch commander, and I was just, I don't know, I was just bored, and I wanted to fuck with somebody. So I called up the watch commander, and I said, hey, look, and this was 30 minutes into the shift. And I called him up, and I said, hey, I'm all out of rounds. What do I do now? (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes I didn't know when to stop with, like, fucking with people, because it it got on certain people's nerves, you know. Imagine that. Imagine that. The the guy, the two dudes that uh, they were fighting, the Arab guy um, and the lieutenant that was mad at me, the staff member that they were talking about, I'm pretty sure that he was a very, very cheap dude. And I think that he had retired from adult probation and parole and then was double dipping when they allowed it. Like right. you could retire, you're gone for so many months, you come back and you could be an officer again, you can't be put into retirement once you're drawing from the system. They would put it in like a 401k for you right right it was a great system just like everything else the legislature fucked that over too well the administration was abusing it they had like wardens and deputy wardens that were retiring from the warden position and then coming right back into the same position not giving somebody the chance to promote up into it oh they were getting they were getting their retirement wardens pay and then coming right back and getting a raise and being a warden still. <laughs> That's fucked up. And, you know, not giving the little guy time to move up. I thought they would have to return and be an officer again. That's how they changed it the first time. Uh-huh. And then somebody found a way around that. And that's uh-huh. when it fucked it up for everybody. Well, anyways, the guy that I'm talking about that they were having the issue with that they were having the meeting and nobody had a radio on. This guy had worked for adult probation and parole. And at one time when that 7-Eleven was, was new right across the street on Banger, <laughs> you know, they said, hey, look, if you want to bring in your cup, you know, you can fill up your soda for, for free. And there's always the one fucking guy that ruins it for everybody. And I don't care if you're an inmate or an officer. One guy finds a way to fuck it up for everybody. Yep. And this guy that we're talking about that they knew was a problem at uh, Olympus, he would go into that 7-Eleven every fucking day because it was free. You know, you start out with like an eight-ounce Dixie cup. Then you go to a solo cup. Next thing you go, you're bringing in like gasoline fucking jugs. 64-ounce yeah. cups. Yeah. yeah, you're bringing in empty milk jugs, you know, for your family for the next week. So you got free soda. And so they stopped doing it. They're like, hey, you guys are abusing it. Never mind. You got to pay. And the same guy, I think that he had, he was driving an old ice cream truck to work. Like he'd gotten a good deal on an ice cream truck. And he was going through an intersection on his way to work. He was like driving towards the west or something. And the sun was coming down and he couldn't see. He ran a red light and he flipped his ice cream truck upside down or something. Some crazy story. I don't remember the details with him. <laughs> I just don't get he it. He didn't park his ice cream truck by the playground, did he? <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. Did it say yeah, it's, free, it's free ice cream on the outside. Yeah, yeah. You can each take your turn on the one ice cream that I've got. <laughs> All Disgusting. we have are push-ups. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's disgusting. He kind of would fit that like movie type role because he kind of looked like one of those guys. Did he have a tattoo of a Jolly Rancher in the palm of his hand? <laughs> gross. gross. <laughs> I lost my puppy. Could you help me find my puppy? Come um, on, it's in the woods here. But I'm scared of the woods. What are you complaining about? I have to come out by myself. 
<laughs> Let me ask you this, Sonny. When you went through the academy, did you have a good time at the academy? Yeah, we did, actually. I was in number six or seven. I can't remember wow, now. Wow. That's and uh, they were really pushing aerobic exercise because most of the people applying for prison guard shit were fat and lazy. And <laughs> you could either <laughs> you, you could either go do aerobics or you could go run a mile and a half. You know, fuck aerobics. We're going to go run a mile and a half until you saw this chick that was doing the aerobics class that looked like physical embodiment of a Barbie doll. I mean, ponytail, big tits, you know, fair skin. She would get up in front of the class and her little tight stuff and start jogging and, you know, speaking words of encouragement. And pretty soon she'd have these two nice little crescents of sweat. Once you started focusing on the crescents of sweat, the working part became easy. You could stand there and run in place all day long as long as it'd be running around the building. Yeah, and you got 30 guys with boners doing aerobics. <laughs> with hey, this quit kid. poking me in the back. Hey, 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 watch that thing. Watch that. <laughs> when I had gone through the police academy, because I had gone through the police academy over in West Valley, that was the summer of 96. All right. I had dormed there. The agency that had hired me, because I had moved out from Virginia, they paid the whole thing, and I dormed at the academy. Right. So the summer of 96, I was living at the academy and then i would have to leave on the weekends but it was kind of a surreal experience as i look back there was multiple times like myself and the other guys from the other different agencies that were all dorming there we would go out to the clubs i didn't drink at the time we would all come back and if we got back too late the whole place was locked up right and one time we had to crawl through the window we found an open window on the instructor's office area. And so we opened it up and, well, one of us climbed through the window and then opened up the regular door to let us in so we could go up to our room and go to sleep. But <laughs> those, <laughs> those were the days. I remember one of the guys, and I can't remember what agency he was with, but he was so drunk, he pissed in his roommate's shoes. And I remember the roommate was Destry, and I think it was like Hurricane, is it Hurricane, Utah? That was However where, they say it, yeah. That he was from that agency, but he wakes up really kind of happy go lucky Mormon guys, like, Wow, my shoes are really wet. I wonder how this happened. And nobody <laughs> wants to say it. it's like that's your roommate's urine. But there was a guy, the whole thing, the whole reason I'm even telling this story, there was a guy that the security for the building was done by Highway Patrol, but they had their this division called Protective Services handle security for the buildings and then. The troopers were out on the road or right. they would they would do executive protection for the governor or whatever yeah this guy again just like corrections you had just some oddball guys this dude was a big heavy set guy probably in his 50s and i'm like 25 years old at the time but i remember he had this big fucking scab on his arm not on his elbow like where you know you would people would normally fall or fall off their bike and, you know, skin your elbow. No, this guy had this big, massive wound on his forearm. I finally asked him because it was all scabbed up. It was like, you know, what happened to your arm? Oh, I had this accident and it got caught in a door. <laughs> I'm like, fuck, man. You know, that looks bad. Like, you know, when did you do that? And he told me it was like seven years ago. <laughs> in 73. <laughs> right. And it's like, what do you, what do you mean? 
And so he admitted to me that he would pick the scab and he would never let it heal. He had like this obsessive compulsive tick where he would pick off the scab and it had never healed after seven years. That's disgusting. It is disgusting. (laughs) I witnessed it, Sonny. This is the guy providing security. Well, I I guess I should be thankful because we got in from going to the fucking club. So I'm glad it was this guy on shift because he was too busy picking to check the windows. So that's kind of cool. We had an old (laughs) state trooper that worked for the prison. He had been a highway patrol officer for years. He was going down I-15 when he was still highway patrol. And there was a car pulled off the side with flashers on. So he pulled up beside it. Big rainstorm going on, you know, typical Utah monsoon. And he sees that it's a legislator's license plate. He walks up to the car and the guy cracked the window like an inch and poked his keys out through it and said, the spare's in the trunk. Guy had got a flat. And so this officer took the back there, opened the trunk, threw the keys in, shut the trunk, walked back to the window and said, so are your keys, sir. And the next day he was working at the prison. Really? (laughs) Yeah. He was a great guy. Great guy. Older, older gentleman. You couldn't get him flustered if you put a gun to his head. Great guy to work with. Wow. That's a great story. He hated that legislator, apparently. Spares in the trunk. So are your keys, sir. Since we're talking about transportation, there was an event that happened that's kind of sad. There was a, a fairly new officer that had only worked at prison maybe two or three years, I think. I don't have a timeline on him because he wasn't there very long. But I'm going to call him Moscow. So this guy, Moscow, he had not been with the prison for very long. Just an absolute... The guy should have never worked in the prison. He should have just gone into modeling. He had the most beautiful fucking smile. And he would walk into the building, and if I was working there, I'd get a boner. I mean, as soon as I saw his teeth, I was like, oh my God, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have an erection for the 12-hour shift. And that's no shit. He was beautiful. He was gorgeous. And he wore a lot of cologne. Like before you'd ever see him, he'd get out of his car out in the parking lot. You knew he was working. He wore a lot of cologne. And it wasn't bad smelling, but it sure didn't help when you smelt that fragrance, saw those teeth, and you're in the closet. You're hornier than fuck. You know, Moscow didn't help. So he had gotten on and he was actually working for transportation. He did pretty well in the short amount of time that he was there. And he is doing a transport with a bunch of inmates and in a van. And I think that he might have been on I-15. He's got all these inmates and there was a bag of chips. And he had reached over for the bag of chips. I think that like the van drifted. He overcorrected and he rolled the van. So inmates start flying out the fucking windows. Bad, bad situation. Terrifying. And I think that one of the inmates ended up being paraplegic or quadriplegic. That's going to, of course, turn into a huge litigation issue for the state. And I know that they kept that van for the longest time because of the years of litigation. Yeah, it was just all over a bag of chips. Really sad. Great guy. Um, I never got an erection for the rest of the time that I worked at the prison, like the erections that I would get when I would see uh, Moscow. Just amazing fucking guy. God, I'm getting hard right now. I'd heard what happened was, of course, he was forced out or told he had to resign. And I think that I heard that he'd gone in the military. 
but it's sad that all that happened over a bag of chips. Oh, wait a minute. What kind of chips were they? Well, I guess if it's Doritos, then it's probably worth it. <laughs> or Cheetos. Cheetos. Fuck. Sorry, Fuck, guys. Man. It was crunchy Cheetos. Oh, sorry, guys. I hope you wore your seatbelts. You saw the video. Yeah, he went out. They all went out the, the windows. It turned in, of course, to a big deal. I think one of the inmates ended up being paraplegic or quadriplegic. Moscow did not stay at the prison. I'm sure they gave him an ultimatum like, look, you can't stay here. And I remember that they had kept that van because of the litigation from families and stuff for years and years and years. Mm -hmm. But it's really sad. He ended up, I heard he'd gone into the military. He'd gone back east and gone to the military. Sad story with uh, with Moscow. God, he was, <laughs> that, he was the hottest looking guy I ever saw in 20 years in prison. Uh, there was, uh, you're talking about the guy that went by Junior. Uh-huh, yeah. He was outside in the forest, but way, way long time ago, the prison ran a farm. They had pigs and cows and dairy and everything. Well, when they slopped out all the pig runs, they would push the shit into this pit that was out back. And it was, you know, a four foot deep, 100 foot wide and 100 foot long. And they just push all the cow shit and the pig shit. And it was like a swamp. I mean, you couldn't walk across it. You'd sink. Somebody <laughs> called in and said they'd seen somebody snooping around the farm. So this guy goes flying out there, lights and sirens, <laughs> drives right off the road, right into the pig pit and sank that outside enforcement vehicle all the way up to its lights <laughs> and pig shit. Oh, no. How did he get out of it without getting covered in shit? He didn't. Oh. It was horrible. Gross. Yeah, they, they had a pretty good-sized farm out there at one time. <laughs> one day, this tractor-trailer livestock hauler pulls into the front gate there, the draper, and this old farmer's sitting there. He says, I'm here to pick up my cows. Of course, the security guy at the gate had no clue what was going on, so he waved him back to the farm. Get back there, and the guy gets out, and he says, here's my receipt. Where's my cows? Apparently, some inmate had got on the phone and sold this farmer the dairy herd <laughs> that belonged to the prison, oh, and he was there to pick his shit up. <laughs> well, you know, all, these, all this story about shit it reminds me of a particular <laughs> sergeant. I'm going to call him Sergeant Coyote. The first time I ever had a forced cell, there was an inmate going off in Uinta 1. And so they activate IMS, and this inmate had slimed with a cup of liquefied shit, this particular sergeant. And so <laughs> I remember going over there, my adrenaline is just pumping like you wouldn't believe, Sonny, because this is my first time actually on an IMS call where it's going to be a four cell. Sure. I got to sign the camera, which, you know, as I look back, kind of sucks. But, <laughs> but I remember that the, this particular sergeant is right there involved with the A team, involved with the, the four cell, which they're supposed to back away and not right. be involved. But not this fucking guy. You're not going to tell him because he wants revenge on that inmate. He is one of those personalities. He should remove himself. So that, you know, there isn't legal problems with him ending up as shield man or something like that. Right. But I remember that as he's right there in the mix, he still had a streak of the shit on his eyeglasses. <laughs>
So, Sonny, for the purposes of this story, we're going to call that particular sergeant Sergeant Coyote. And so he had bought, gotten slimed. He still had shit on his glasses. I think that he'd like taken off his shirt. Uh, that's probably overwhelming all that poop on your shirt. I'm over in UNA5 and I get this is like the first IMS call out that I get called to. And so your adrenaline's pumping because you're going to go in and you're going to be part of the action. Everybody's suiting up and I get assigned to camera. I think it was probably a relief because guys that work inside the prison, man, they want to be on the shield. They want to have that first contact with that inmate. You know, for me being the first time, I'll get the camera. So you whole responsibility when you're holding the camera is to videotape all the action, follow the team in. So if it turns into some type of legal situation with use of force, that you have everything that the team did as far as securing this inmate, escorting him out, getting him assessed by medical, et cetera, et cetera. Well, normally, if you're involved, if you're the one that gets a face full of shit, you're removed from the situation. It's not in the best interest of the department or you and your mental health to be in that section when they go in. And if you're angry and you want to see this fucking guy beat up by staff, that's the worst place you can be. It's just not good, the liability issue. So I don't know what happened back then in 1997. Uh, Wiley's right there, and he's right next to me. And so these guys make the entry, and I'm filming, and this inmate is fighting them, and fists are going up, and Wiley's directing me. And he's like, make sure you get all this graffiti up on the ceiling and film over here on the wall. Look at this. He's done this to his cell. He's a bad guy. Make sure you film this. Of course, he's the supervisor, so I'm doing whatever he tells me. Of course, now the camera's looking at the ceiling and the walls, and you hear all this scuffling, which is really not a good thing. So I'm doing what the sergeant tells me to do. But the sergeant shouldn't even be in the fucking section. And then what happens is... Once they look at the video, of course, when they do a debrief and then all the staff look at the video to see how it was handled, uh, you know, I'm thinking I did a great job because I listened to the sergeant. All the other staff are like, God, who's this new guy? Is he a fucking idiot? He's filming the ceiling and he's filming the walls. Who gives a shit about the graffiti? You know, cover our ass, you know, in case we go to court. We got video of us, you know, taking care of this guy and doing it professionally. Sergeant Coyote, you know, he wanted to get his digs in. He wanted to, he wanted that particular inmate that threw shit in his face to, to get his. We'll just say that. Revenge for the sergeant. Yeah, that was, that was something. If an inmate assaulted his staff, slimed him or hit him or whatever, the inmate was going to get payback. Yeah. Or the staff, the staff was going to get payback, not the inmate. Stand by and prepare to be rammed. <laughs> <laughs> When you retired, it was pretty much they had the IMS system in place and you had your A-team response and the SWAT team would come in and do four cells. When I started, it was, okay, we got more people than the inmate in the cell, so there's two of us. One guy is holding up a mattress so that we can use it as a shield when we go in. You hope somebody's got a fucking pair of cuffs on them so that they can hook <laughs> this guy up. <laughs> uh, yeah, it kind of evolved from there. And then we got the taser shields. Did you ever use those when you? Those were all junk by the time I came on. They they were junk when we got them. It was like the skeleton graveyard of old equipment, and you saw right. those shields with the probes in the on the shield. 
right? The foil, the foil tape around. Yeah. 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 And then after that, they got these things that look like a, a remote control with radio antennas on it. And you were supposed to poke the radio antennas through the bars and touch the inmate with them. And it would zap them. Good well, luck. The inmate would just reach up and snap them off, you know. And then mm. they got the non-lethal ammo, the beanbag gun. Mm -hmm. and they mm -hmm. shot that guy's nut off that time. <laughs> 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 Always something, man. You get in a wrestling match with some inmate, there'd be five officers, one inmate, and everybody's trying to grab their assigned appendage, you know, arm, leg, foot, foot, whatever. And you'd hear an officer, that's my arm, God damn it, that's my arm. <laughs> and pretty soon, everybody just fucking loses it. Inmates laughing, the staff's laughing. It's, all right, all right, let's start over. Wow. There was some, some good times had during the four cells. <sighs> Definitely that's, a different time. That's where I learned that shit washes off and it's not that bad <laughs> oh wow the next person that i'm going to talk about i'm going to name this particular person eve i remember she had gotten dumped by a guy that was i think he was special operations for the jail he was swat at least he was at one point i don't know if he was at this time but what happened was is she was so angry because he dumped her and <laughs> She said that it was the best sex that she ever had. And I remember exactly where I was when she told me because I looked at her like, you're crazy. And she had said, oh, my God, the sex is so good. We fucking pull each other's hair and he'll punch me right in the fucking face. It's so hot. And I looked at her because I didn't know if she was joking. You know, <laughs> you, you punch me in the face during sex and <laughs> We're it's, done. On. it's on. It's <laughs> on. You know, and I'm not going to be able to stay hard. I don't like getting punched in the face. Never have. Mm -mm. This guy that had dumped her hits me up on Facebook. And he hit me up on Messenger and Facebook. And he goes, hey, man, I heard you got a big cock. I can host. And I'm like, <laughs> wait, what? Like, this is that guy. And I kind of, somebody else had said, I think that guy might be bi. But he had hit me up, and he like wanted to host. He knew the terminology, and I was not into him at all. Like he's not my thing at all. But um, some people are try. You know, they'll try anything. I, I, you know, Big Ed is the one who told me that expression. I'll try anything. <laughs> it was Big Ed. But um, so he had pestered me for a while, you know, saying, "Hey, come on, come on," and I and I like I referred him to different websites and. You know, like, that's not my thing. I'm not into hooking up. And I know I don't want to get punched in the face. I'll fucking kill you, dude. <laughs> I don't care who you are. If you punch me in the face during sex, I'm fucking kicking your nuts right through the top of your fucking head. <laughs> Asshole. I don't, I don't like that shit. <laughs> you ever had an experience like that, Sonny? Did you ever get hit up on Messenger saying, hey, man. Because <laughs> is, is it just me? Is this one of those that just happens to you, Mark? Because Tony used to tell me that shit only happens to you. It only happens to you. See, <laughs> I, it, it's because you're big dick. I could walk into a wall with a heart on and I'd break my nose. So, <laughs> well, I I appreciate that gesture, but you know that particular individual who liked to punch Eve in the face. He never got to, uh, you know, partake in any type of relations with me. 
<laughs> there was never going to happen. The, the whole period when I was into video production and I had made this movie called The China Buffet, I had written this screenplay and I know I've talked about it in the other podcasts. The whole storyline, which I have not really talked about in the podcast, is the storyline is being a prison guard and coming out of the closet. So the way that I wrote the script, it definitely had to have some scenes shot inside the prison. So I wrote this screenplay and I'm like, how hard can it be since I already worked there and other people that work there are going to be in the movie? I need to find out what it takes to film inside that place. Because I know, as we had talked earlier on the podcast, different uh, production companies have been in there. And it was listed on the locations for the Utah Film Commission, the state mm -hmm. prison. It's no longer listed on there, and I think that's because of Patterson. Probably. That's, yeah, him and Robin Williams, they just, <laughs> they're just a different breed. We'll just say well, that. They weren't making any money themselves, so it wasn't a good thing for them. He, he's just a, he's a fucking jerk. My opinion, and I'm mm -hmm. entitled to it. So what happened was, is so I started the process of finding out what I had to do to film inside the prison. So I started with Barney Rubble. Do you know who I'm referring to? Mm-hmm. Big farmer. <laughs> okay. So Barney Rubble was a lieutenant, and so I had to deal with him. And, and <laughs> I had forgot about you. Go on. Okay. <laughs> and Jack Ford, which was the spokesperson for the department. Right. So I start this email conversation with these guys, and it's like, oh, yeah, yeah, that shouldn't be a big deal, blah, blah, blah. Some point, somebody made the decision. Nah, we don't like that idea. Never mind. Can't do it. Sorry. And I'm like, well, what? I work there. What's the big deal? It's like, well, you have to have an insurance policy that's required where you indemnify the state in case anything happens with your production. Right. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let me find out what I got to do. So I found this, this company that covers film production companies with insurance up in like Oregon. I had to pay $800 for a policy that covered me for 24 hours to film on prison property. Hmm. I paid the $800 because I had to get these shots. Right. So then they're still saying, no, you can't do it. So I went across the street pursuing whatever avenue I had to with the administration. Now, I was friends with two individuals, one whose uncle was over the department, and he was married to somebody that whose relative was like over DIO operations. I pursued it to that level. She had no idea, this person that was like DIO director. She had no idea. They had come to her and said, hey, there's this guy that wants to do this independent film. He wants to come into the prison for like four hours. Didn't tell her who it was. They just didn't want to deal with it. She found out that it was me. And she's like, what's the big fucking deal? If he gets the insurance policy and he shows his coverage, let him film. I went over their head, and we all know how that works with those oh, personalities. Yeah. So next thing you know, I get called into Friel's office. <laughs> yeah. And so I go in there. He's not outright mad. You know, he basically wants to talk about what I can and can't film. And I can't film the Johnson bars in A Block because of the pending litigation with that inmate that was killed by the bars. All right. It's like four hours with all people that work in the prison. There's no backgrounds that have to be done on anybody. And I'm in there at like two in the morning till six in the morning. And it's shots of like Uinas and it's shot of Corridor. I had to pay security. Captain O'Bray to escort me around. Marty? 
Yep. <laughs> I had a son of a bitch. <laughs> and so I had to pay him like 30 bucks an hour to provide security for four hours. No big deal at all. And they made it, they just didn't want to deal with it. And then I, I filmed the scenes and it became part of the China buffet. And it's great visuals. I mean, when you have a set like that with the background of the prison, it's pretty amazing. Yeah. And it's just the opening credits. That's it. <laughs> so it was really cool. Marty used to teach uh, uh, rest and control techniques up at the academy. Oh, yeah. I was up there doing my 40 hours, you know, annual training one time. And he was doing the class. He said, Sonny, come here. I'm standing in front of him and he punched me in the chest so fucking hard I thought my heart had come out the back of my back of my front. That's him. I looked at him and I know my pupils got big and he <laughs> punched me again. And I just said, if you hit me again, I'm gonna shoot you in your fucking face. You understand? Because <laughs> he hurt me, man. He <laughs> loved like, it. He loved it. He was sadistic. I said, I, yeah. I will shoot you in your fucking face. Yeah. Oh, uh, can I have another assistant? <laughs> he was real quiet. You know, I, I never had a problem with O'Bray. He was always nice to me. I never got into any type of, like, teach me some of your moves. I never got into it with him on that. We were kind of friends. Hell, we, uh, his wife and me and Sue would go like double dates to dinner and stuff like that. And I'm pretty sure that's why he picked me out of the class to punch me because he right. thought, you know, oh, we're friends. You'll take it. Don't hit me, motherfucker. Yeah. If you hit me again, I will shoot you in the face. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> well, God, uh, Sonny, that pretty much wraps up. I think we've gone like a little over time on this, uh, but there's been a lot of great stories. Uh, we um, got a lot of stories about Pig Farmer, too. Uh, Barney Rubble? <laughs> Barney Rubble. Because <laughs> yeah. that's exactly who he looked like. He does. He looks exactly like him. And somebody I know ran into him not too long ago. He had a full head of hair, but he almost looked albino. He was albino, or as <laughs> close as you can get without pink eyes. <laughs> right. This and is I, true. I, and it was from working graveyard shifts for 100 years. He'd never seen the sun. He got busted one time. He worked in UNA5, and they had a, an inmate pass out and die on him. And they called the meat wagon to come get him, and the guy told him, oh, it's going to be a couple hours took the inmate and they'd pose him against the bars it was like cigarettes in his mouth and everybody's standing around shaking oh, hands and and he God. went he went home and left one of the polaroid pictures sitting on the desk and somebody found it he almost lost his job over it i imagine so <laughs> he would, of a corpse he yeah he was uh, the graveyard quarter sergeant when i worked with him for a couple of years and we would search the culinary because the inmates would make the brew. You know, they had all, everything they needed in the culinary, yeast and fruit and all that shit to make some pretty good home brew. And we had one inmate out there named Bulis, and he was a brew master. And he would take raisins, and he could make this the best brandy you'd ever tasted. If we ever found it, we always stole some for ourselves. <laughs> but Pig Farmer would either piss in it and put it back, or stir it with a plunger and put it back. Oh, that fucking guy. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah, bad. I, I had forgot all about him. I, he, <laughs> I got so many stories about him. Do you remember the story that happened? Again, we digress. I think it was during Patterson's administration. But there was a case where a bunch of inmates made a brew 
and they got botulism poisoning. Mm -hmm. They used tomatoes. Okay, but did you, you remember what I'm talking about? Yeah, yeah. They all ended up at the University of Utah. One guy had such neurological problems, he couldn't lift up his head. Yeah, scary shit. Like, the feds came in to investigate because there were so many inmates involved. Yep. That was a big deal. And, of course, that administration was, you know, blaming staff for not doing enough searches. Mm-hmm. Well, Sonny, that, uh, that wraps up episode 20. Did you have a good time coming back? Oh, yeah. Always do. And you've reminded me, just talking about these different individuals, I've got a whole bunch more stories, man. Write them down. I'm going to have to. My memory's as long as my dick. I, I can't remember <laughs> shit anymore. Well, I'm going <laughs> to. Well, according to the legend of you, you can remember <laughs> shit for 100 years. Uh, whatever. It's total bullshit. That's why I've got all this paperwork. I've got these reports from 1997. I've got a box of them somewhere, and I asked Sue. I was looking for them the other day, hoping to dig through them and find some fun shit, but I can't find them. When I do, I'll let you know. Well, I end this program with the same thing I say every week, and that is to be good. And if you can't be good, be good at it. And if you're sitting in prison, you're not good at it. (laughs) Good night, Sonny. Good night, everybody. Good night. See you later.